0: Oh, my God. I was in so much pain. And every 10 seconds, I just kept repeating to myself, how badly do you want this? Do you want it more than this hurts? Or does this hurt more than you want it? And I really wanted it. I had run 22 miles and I knew that I was that close and I just could taste it. And that turned into me like Going down the chute and immediately vomiting. So I felt like I had given it
1: my all. You did. So- this is like the perfect finish. because <laughs> You gave everything you had, so you had to even vomit. It's actually kind of beautiful in, in a way.
2: Welcome Endurance Enthusiasts. I'm your host, Bruna.
1: And I'm your host, Fabi. You're tuning into Human Endurance. The podcast where we aim to inspire you with stories of achievement, motivation, and self-fulfillment. We'll connect you with humans
2: pushing boundaries, breaking barriers, and discovering the joy of endurance sports.
1: Join us on this journey of self-reflection and personal growth. Let's go the distance together.
2: Welcome to Human Endurance. I'm so excited that today we're interviewing a dear friend of mine, an extremely accomplished runner, Reta. She's 29 years old from Cincinnati, Ohio, and now lives in LA. Reta and I have shared a very special experience together, which was running the virtual Boston Marathon in 2020 when the real one was canceled because of COVID. We had to design the course ourselves and get friends and family to support us with water stations. We raced almost the entire way together And that was such a special experience to share. Since then, I've watched her flourish in the sport, run multiple marathons, and break the insane three-hour barrier, which is a huge achievement for anyone, but especially for women. Less than 1% of female runners break this barrier. Wow, it's super impressive and cool. I very much admire Rita. Can't wait to dive into her journey into the sport. Welcome, Rita, to Human Endurance.
1: Thank
0: you. I'm so honored and so excited to be here.
1: Happy to have you on the podcast. Let's jump right into it. Can we dive into how you got into running? How did you start out?
0: I fell into running when I was pretty young. I was 16 when I first started to run. I was an active kid my whole life. I played sports. I was really lucky. My parents just encouraged whatever I wanted to try. So I kind of tried a little bit of everything when I was a kid. I loved soccer folks could see a natural runner on the field. So my dad always encouraged me to run. And the cross country coach at my high school was always a little voice in my ear saying you should come out and try cross country. And so finally, my junior year of high school, I decided to try it. And it was a love hate at first, you know, it was a new team, a new group of people. I was good at it. But it It's really painful, but something about it just made me keep coming back for more. And it became something that made me so happy and confident. And I felt just better when I was running. And that was what got me into running originally. And, you know, throughout life, leaving, going to college, starting my career, running has come and go in little fluctuations. But I found a team out here in Los Angeles called Goodbye's Track Club. And that really started my serious running career as an adult. Very grateful to have found a community to hold me accountable like that. Yeah, community is
2: super important. We're definitely going to dive into your experience with your running club, which we're very curious to hear more about. But before we do that, you started with cross country, right? For the listeners that don't know, cross country is a way shorter race. It's like five or six K off road and so on. It's very different from the marathon. When did you decide to do marathons and why? Why that specific distance? Why this specific
0: challenge? Yeah, you're right. So cross country, I only ran 5Ks in high school. And then when I went to college, I played club lacrosse my first year there. That kept me active. And then my sophomore year, I stopped playing that and was just going to the gym for the first time in my life. I didn't have a sports team for the first time in my entire life. I would go and I would make up these dumb workouts where I'd be on the Jacob's Ladder for like five minutes. We had an indoor track. I'd go like sprint the track. I was just trying to keep myself entertained. (laughs) And my college put on a half marathon every year in the spring, which I went to school in Northern Indiana. It was freezing cold. It was icy and snowy usually in the spring. But I ran my first half marathon my sophomore year. And I don't remember this, but I was talking to my roommate in college. She actually just ran her first half marathon yesterday, which is really cool. She told me, she reminded me that I got home from that half marathon and she was like, how was it? Like, how did it go? How did you feel? And this sounds kind of cocky, but I guess I walked in and I was like, it was really fun. I think I can go further. And so that was the first birthplace of me thinking, oh, maybe I will do a marathon. It wasn't until my senior year of college where I kind of had had this thought of, I want to try this bucket list type thing, you know, the classic story of most runners. And I decided to run it my senior year. I figured I was a college student, had a more flexible schedule than I would once I graduated. And why not now? So I spent The first semester of my senior year. Every Saturday morning going for solo long runs or my one friend Connor would join me sometimes and worked up to 20 miles. I followed a Nike app that doesn't even exist anymore. (laughs) I think I ran like 30 to 35 miles a week. That wasn't even something I was thinking about. And I went to the Chicago Marathon and ran
1: my first marathon, had a blast. (laughs) Sounds like an amazing story, especially, you know, when you came to your roommate and said, I think I can go further. Because I think a lot of people who finished their first half, including me, I was in my first half, I was like, wow, I cannot imagine running double of that. Actually, me too. When I ran my first half, I was like, how the hell do people run double this? Let's maybe go back to 2016 when you did your first marathon. How did that feel? You said it was a blast, but did you also feel like you were trained enough? Were you struggling in the race or how was the experience? Pain fades with time, right? So I can't really remember how
0: much pain I was in. I don't remember hitting a wall. I remember it being uncomfortable. I really appreciated my first marathon experience, training by myself, not having expectations. I was just doing it to complete it. I was pushing myself during training. I remember having hard workouts, but I didn't have any sort of goal or expectations that I was going to feel happy if I succeeded or unhappy if I didn't succeed. I just wanted to complete it. So I wore a stopwatch when I ran it. And I remember starting the stopwatch and I don't think I looked at it a single time during the race. I was just running. And I looked at my splits for the first time. And I was, I think, like around an 8.05 to an 8.15 the whole time. And I negative split it kind of. So I was like, wow, Rena, good job. Good to go. That tells you where my headspace was. I've never even looked at my splits until I was looking up all my past marathon times and was curious for this podcast. I ran a 3.33. That's incredible.
2: I coach, right? I've been working for, with quite a few runners that are beginning their journeys. I've coached quite a few people to run their first marathons. And that's usually the advice that I give it to them. Even if they come with already some fitness level and they can run significant distances and they're not struggling so much, the advice that I give to them is just enjoy. And I think you embody that very well. Like I can't believe a stopwatch. Maybe I'll suggest that next time.
0: <laughs> so when I was entering the expo for that first marathon, I was just like, everything was new to me. And again, I followed this Nike app. And so about four or five months before the race, I just put in that I could run a 5k at like a 20 minute pace or something. And it made me a whole marathon schedule. And as I trained, it kept honing what it thought I could run the marathon in. And by the end, it started out as a four and a half hour marathon. And as I trained, not really caring or knowing what a good marathon was, I just was pushing myself and running and it honed it down to a three-hour and 30-minute marathon. I didn't know what that meant at all. I was running for a charity called Immerman's Angels. And so I was in you know, F or G Corral, super late in the race. And I went to the Nike booth because I knew they had pacers. And I thought, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I should just stick with a three-hour and 30-minute pacer. And that would be a good way to run the race. I asked them if they would have pacers in that far back of a corral and the Nike pacer who was working the booth, he looked at me and he asked me what time I was shooting for because they weren't going to have pacers there, but they had marathon tattoos. So pace tattoos that you can put on your arm to keep you on track. And I told him three hours and 30 minutes. And he looked at me and he goes, how many marathons have you run? And I told him this will be my first. And he goes, no, you're not going to run that. What the and fuck? I, <laughs> I just, I didn't say anything. Yeah. And he goes, at least add an hour to that. This is your first marathon. Don't hold yourself to that expectation. You're going to bomb during it. <laughs> I, I was so taken aback. This was less than 24 hours before I was about to hit the start line. And I knew enough at that time that I was like, don't listen to him. It is mental, you know, by that point with training, you know, it's a mental game, too. And I was just really horrified leaving that that someone so experienced in running would with that little time left to the start line, plant a seed of doubt in any runner's mind. And I think about it still. And I think that was just I hope they're not pacing anymore because
1: (laughs) they are not a good
0: running partner.
1: Well, that's super bad. Like also, first of all, the person didn't know how much training you put in. And second of all, your background in running and so on, just because it's your first doesn't mean you take four and a half hours.
0: Yeah. After I finished, I wanted to go find him and say, look, I ran a
1: 3.33. We got the list from you of all the marathons that you completed. It's uh, super impressive, the development that you went through. So like we just heard that you did the Chicago Marathon in 2016 with your three hours 33. And then you did L.A., Three years after breaking three hours 30 then you did the virtual boston marathon during COVID. you did the la marathon where you got to three hours 15 and also placed fourth in your division then the boston marathon where you again improved your time by five minutes and then the same year 2022 where you did the chicago marathon where you broke the three-hour barrier with two hours 59 minutes that must have been uh, super giving a heart attack being that close. <laughs> and then you did Cincinnati with three hour, two minutes, and then Berlin as well, three hour, one minute. Super impressive. Can we dive a bit into this development? How was that process? Was it always in the plan? Did it just happen? My progression was
0: unintentional in that. I have been lucky to find communities that have pushed me and I've started to seek it after I noticed that was very correlated with me getting better, with me improving. I've run a total of nine and my first marathon, like I already said, was just me kind of getting out there and wanting to complete that accomplishment. And three years later, I ran my second marathon. Mm-hmm. I had moved to Los Angeles where I was in my you know, full-time career as an adult and I had moved out here and I had just been overwhelmed with that transition into adulthood. And I felt like I had stopped running for about a year and I had gotten a little more used to this life and being independent and on my own. And I really missed running. And I just couldn't find the motivation to do it just to do it. And so I signed up for the LA Marathon quite cold. It's an easy race to get into. And so I told myself, if I sign up for a marathon, I have to run. And I found a club that was put together for training for the LA Marathon. They start training six months before the marathon. Their first long run is eight miles. So it's a really nice, easy transition from not running back into it. So I trained with them, and I was living in a certain part of Los Angeles where an affiliate club was starting to do track workouts. So I started to do track workouts with that affiliate club called South Bay Run Club. And the L.A. running scene is just an amazing, amazing scene. I'm so grateful for it. A lot of running scenes are male-dominated, as I'm sure you both have experienced. So through them, I met some women who... Introduced me to the tempo workout, the track workout for marathon running. I had never done stuff like that before. So I started running with, they called themselves Coffee Club, and it was a group of women. And this is fast forwarding way later, but they were a club that first introduced me to what I call ultra relays. I don't think that's an actual word or term, but I've run a few races with them that I consider ultra relays. So it's like 35 hours of running on a team of six women. One year we ran from LA to Las Vegas with the Speed Project. I loved that community of coffee club and I wanted to find something similar that would push me and keep me consistent and accountable with speed workouts. And I was talking to my pacer at LA Roadrunners and he said, oh, I know a club that I actually think you would really like. It's called Good Vibes Track Club. So right before COVID hit, I joined Good Vibes Track Club and I was training for Boston at the time, as were you, Bruna. I was training for Boston in April and they canceled that race a month before it happened. And then I picked back up and I told myself I'm going to run the Boston in the fall because they reannounced it. And so I kept training. And then they canceled it and made it virtual. And I was laughing at your first podcast, which I listened to. And you said that you wanted to run it for the shirt. (laughs) I remember the feeling when they made it virtual. I was like, who in their right mind wants to run a virtual marathon? But God damn it, I have been training for this race for a year. (laughs) If I don't run this marathon, I will go insane. (laughs) so that's why I ran it in the end but I can understand (laughs) they really were just
2: put so much effort it's like I remember too the day that I got the message that it wasn't gonna happen I probably texted you because I remember that you were training for it too and I was like fuck what do we do now with all this training I feel so fit yeah (laughs)
1: I think in COVID everybody was like in this situation right every runner, everybody was training for something and everything was canceled. I remember too, I, we were, I was also training for a, for a marathon that I initially planned to do. And we were like canceling, looking for another race, canceling, looking for another race. You just get like, very desperate because you have this whole buildup of weeks of mileage. I think the Los Angeles marathon was the last really large
0: race that happened before it, because I think it happened about a week before the proper shutdown in March. And I remember kicking myself because I I thought to myself, I should have just run the LA Marathon. I shouldn't be like, try to be this cool and run Boston. (laughs) Like I should have just run LA. But it all worked out in the end.
2: Um, I remember that too. I remember I was watching somebody race the LA Marathon. And yeah, then suddenly everything closed down. Yeah. Crazy memories. What a weird time. Um, Anyways, keep telling your story.
0: Back to the progression through. So I joined Good Vibes. They were a really big club. I remember going and feeling kind of intimidated, but everyone was very nice, but it was hard. Like these were hard workouts. I remember showing up and a month in we did a three by five K on the track, which is kind of, it's an infamous workout that we work up to during marathon training. I was like, who the heck are these people? This is too intense. And then during COVID, they started what they called intimate sessions because of the shutdown. So we would meet with very, very few people so that we could all like stay spread out. And we did different types of workouts than we usually do. But it just really set me into the community. It became something I looked forward to. I got to know these people in the dark, running hills, you know, wearing masks. So coming out of COVID, I had been used to this they just have this next caliber level of commitment and expectations of mileage on your own, what you um, set for your own expectations during a workout, how hard you can push yourself. And so I came out of that. And I guess my first race was Boston, the proper race coming out of starting to train with them and I ran the 310 there. I remember being proud of myself for PRing on Boston, which is, you know, a hard accomplishment to achieve, but just feeling this like immense wave of support with that group of people behind me, it became such a natural progression to keep training with them for Chicago, which was my next race later that year. I don't think I realized that I could break three until like a month before the race. I remember being on the track one day and we were doing a track workout and we did it, I think, a few two mile tempos. And I looked around at the people that were running next to me and I was like, wait, these (laughs) are really fast people. And we finished the workout and I remember joking. I was like, dang, guys, like you make me feel fast today. Like I feel fast. And everyone looked at me and they're like, you are fast, Retta. Yeah. And then I started looking at my times and I approached Marvin Garcia, who is one of the founders and captains of Good Vibes. And I was like, Marv, do you think I can break three hours? And he looks at me and he goes, yeah. And I talked to Koza, who's another captain of Good Vibes, who I was a Running partner, and he's always a little bit ahead of me and will always push me. And I was like, Do you think it's possible? And everyone just started kind of echoing this yes. And so I went into Chicago, just kind of like, whatever happens, happens. I had my trusty three hour pace tattoo, my favorite part of the Chicago Marathon. But it's like this big thing. It's your whole forearm and it breaks down every mile and what your split can be and what your overall time will be for a certain race time. And I really do like it. I try not to think too much during the marathon. So it's a nice little just like check in of where I'm at without having to think too hard about anything. And I finished that race. And like you guys mentioned, it was very, very close. And I remember the last Four miles, I was hurting so badly. It was miserable. It was so miserable. And the last few miles of the Chicago Marathon are probably the least populated. You kind of go on this back loop stretch and it's the hottest part of the day, right? And it's quiet. And oh my God, I was in so much pain. And every 10 seconds, I just kept repeating to myself, How badly do you want this? Do you want it? more than this hurts or does this hurt more than you want it and i really wanted it i had run 22 miles and i knew that i was that close and i just could taste it and that turned into me like going down the chute and immediately vomiting no no
2: you didn't moment. <laughs> oh my god
0: <laughs> so i felt like i had given it
1: my all you did. I this is like the perfect finish. because You gave everything you had, so you had to even vomit. It's actually kind of beautiful in, in a way. Yeah. It's perfection. You're really
2: giving you all. And wow, the fact that you could just push yourself through this pain, it's super impressive. I think I dare to say that this capability to push when you're at the end of the race, really, really push to your maximum is what separates the runners that are great and the runners that are average. Because I think at the end of the day, like everybody's in pain. It's not like it gets easier, right? You just get faster. And then you have to have this mental toughness to be like, like you said, like, this is what I want. And I want it so bad that I'm gonna go through this pain. And I think that's the thing that most people don't have, which I don't blame them for it. I think it's it's very difficult.
1: How was this feeling when you ran the last, I don't know, 200 meters? You're in pain, and but really you know you're going you're gonna to make it. How was the feeling and the emotions?
0: Anyone who's run a marathon knows you never cross the start line when the clock starts. So when I turned the corner, I looked at my watch. I looked at the time. I knew I had slightly the, the minutes that I had started at, but I didn't know for sure if maybe my watch was a little off, because actually my watch was off. That whole race, I kept using a elapsed time in my pace tattoo because my GPS didn't connect to like mile four or five, I think, of that race. I couldn't really rely on my watch. So I turned that corner the, with the last stretch and I just ran my freaking heart out and I just thought, I hope to God that this works. <laughs> and I crossed and I got my medal. And kept, you know, going through the shoot, got my blanket and I thought I had done it, but I wasn't sure. And I didn't want to believe I had until I knew. And I was kind of stumbling through the shoot and grabbing the little like all the stuff that they shove in your face. And then I came to the beer stand and all of a sudden I hear my name like someone's just screaming my name really excited. And I look up and it's my teammate from cross country in high school. I hadn't seen her in probably four years. She was like, Rada, Rada, Rada. Oh my gosh, like congratulations. That was amazing. And she hands me this big beer. After I like soaked in who she was, I was like, oh my gosh, Hannah, do you know how I did? And she goes, yeah, you ran 259. And then I just started crying. (laughs) So she was my like, My confirmation. I was so blessed to have her there because then that finally told me that I had done it. And I got back to my bag and got my cell phone and I just called Marvin and I was like again crying and I was like, oh my God, I did it. And he, yeah, he was really excited. It was a really surreal feeling. I was just, I was proud of myself and my parents were there. So I got to share the experience with them and it was. Those days are some of the best days of my life. I can still remember the first Chicago marathon I ran. I can remember every day that I've run a marathon becomes this core memory for me. So it was it was really exciting. Sounds
1: magical. I almost teared up to just hearing. That's like the beauty also of sport because those achievements, they mean so much and you do it for yourself and they're really, like you say, it's like the best days of your life. You just really like, you do this for you and it gives, it gives you so much, right? Yeah, so, I wanted to comment
0: on one thing that I think set me up for success and has just in general. Whenever people come to me for running advice, um, especially in a marathon training block, I like to advise people not to hold themselves to any sort of goal at the beginning. So I like to say, if you have a goal in mind, you know, keep it quiet, keep it in the back of your head, I'm naive if I say I don't ever have a goal going into the training block, but it's just based on my past experience of generally where I know I can run to. So it's okay to have that to keep you motivated for the easy miles or during the workout. But I'd say don't even calculate what your marathon race pace is. Don't calculate what you should be running your tempo at. Don't calculate what your 400 should be or whatever. I said, just use that as motivation and show up to every workout and just push yourself and try really hard. And you know what you're capable of. Like you said, Bruna, it's like this internal tap in that you can't teach. People have to decide what that is and what that feels like. About six weeks before the race, that's when you can start thinking about what that time goal is again, and then compare it to what you have been running. Because I I see a lot of burnout from folks. And I've experienced it myself where I'm so hyper obsessed with a certain time that then I go into a workout anxious because I need to hit my tempo at X pace and it feels hard and it feels impossible. And if I'm 10 seconds slower, I feel defeated. And then I'm more likely to just stop the workout rather than finishing it a little bit slower. So that's something that I really tried to hold myself to and guidance I give to anybody (laughs) who wants to listen to me. And then the second piece, I think that really set me up for the Chicago, like sub three, which I didn't realize, but the December before I ran a half marathon, just a local half marathon with my friend Priscilla. And it was right after the LA marathon. And I just fed into it, trained for another month and ran a half. And I haven't really run half marathons since college, which got me into marathon training. I haven't been one of those runners have that have used halves as kind of checkpoints in my training plan. So the half is a very unique distance to me. It's unfamiliar to me. So I used that and I ran a 128, which became my PR because again, I don't really run them, but it reset what my body could do. I had never really run that pace for 13 miles. And I remember coming through at the end of that race, I was dead. I felt like, like I had given it my all. And less than a year later, I ran the Chicago marathon and I came through the halfway mark 20 seconds slower than my finishing time for that half. And I remember coming through the half and I felt awesome. And that hit me so hard. Like I think that half kind of reset my brain and reset my training into like what I thought and felt could be possible for myself. So that's actually what I'm doing right now. Like you mentioned, Fabi, I ran a 259 and then I ran a 302 and then I ran a 301. So I I feel kind of stuck. I feel like I've plateaued a little bit in my running times. And so this season, I'm not running a marathon for the first time in a long time. And I'm running a half at the end of April. And I'm hoping to just reset what my brain and my body tell myself I can do for an extended period of time. And then I'm returning to Chicago in the fall. So hopefully it gets me to a little bit of a breakthrough.
2: I, I like this strategy. I actually tried to do something similar when I was training. Now I was hoping to to try and break three hours in the Vienna Marathon in April. And I did the same. I actually didn't run a marathon end of the year last year. And I did two halves. I came one in an hour 31 and then the other one in an hour 29. And I also think it gave me this confidence boost because I realized, wait, I can't actually hold the pace. Of course, it's double the distance. But you, with the experience of endurance, you realize that, yeah, it's just a matter of like training a little bit more on that zone. And the fact that you can hold that pace is super, uh, super motivating. So cool. I'm happy to hear that maybe I was doing the right thing. (laughs) Got to try again when I'm healthy. But I have a question for you. The first tip you gave about like not really setting a goal before you're actually closer to the race and you mentioned, oh, otherwise you're stuck thinking about like, oh, I need to hit this pace for my threshold sessions. I'm curious, how do you set those paces? Like... Are they your marathon race pace or are you doing them slightly faster? Like, how do you usually go about that?
0: I don't have a personal coach. I just train with my club, my good vibes track club. We meet three times a week. So our breakdown of training is Tuesday track workout, shorter speed, Thursday tempo runs, which usually start out as a fart lick of some kind at the beginning of the training season. And then we progress into An eight to 10 mile tempo run, continuous, and then Saturday long runs. I don't know if I really strategize to my marathon race pace. Our mantra at Good Vibes is running on feel, and having that group around you is what holds me accountable at the beginning of every new season. Because we do two seasons a year one for the fall marathons, one for the spring marathons. You kind of shake out who your training group is you know you go on those first few workouts and people fall into their paces and you look around and you see who's there and then it becomes this just a group that you push with throughout the season so i don't know if i go into the beginning of the training season with that time in mind i just try to send it and work hard those first few weeks and then i can look back at my workouts and see what's possible like this season i'm really excited because I'm running faster than I actually ever have. So lately, my tempos have been between a six minute pace and a 620. So now when I go into a workout, I'm holding myself to that. But at the beginning of the season, I had no idea that I would be running that like a, a six minute pace on a tempo. And just so. to give
2: some perspective, because I even forgot paces in miles. Oh, like, yeah. What is your average marathon pace for breaking three hours? That was or a
0: six, 6.45
2: or 6.50. 6.45. Okay, so you're running significantly faster, like six twenty. It's
1: very nice to hear that you're not super fixated on the paces that you always have to hit. I guess it's coming from that you run your track club. I guess you're in this group and you always have people, like everybody's in the same pace range, but still a bit different. So within these groups, you push each other you have good workouts and you have bad workouts. So some days you're the one who's pushing the
0: group forward and other days you're getting dropped and holding on for dear life. And it gives you kind of this like center of gravity, I think, to that you can use as motivation. I have used the word accountability a lot, but that's what I've really found with that group is just accountability because I want to show up fit at the beginning of the season so that I can, you know, be there for my teammates and I want to show up to every workout because I know how it feels to have, one, your training partner not show up, but two, also, you know, that inner competitive side of you. You're like, well, I want to get fit with my teammates. I don't want to watch my teammates get fit around me. So it's this really good dynamic to keep you uh, motivated. And it's also really fun, I think. My favorite part of the group is just seeing people come in and train with us for a few seasons and absolutely explode in potential and watch them just get faster and watch the joy that they get from that breaking these barriers. That's become my favorite part. You know, I've been running with them for well over four years and it's what keeps me coming back is that too. I also just love that it is not An elite type of group. It's an elite mindset, is what I like to think of Good Vibes as. We expect people to show up and take themselves seriously. One of my co captains, Dune, always says, When you show up here, we expect you to view yourself as an athlete, and that's how we're going to treat you. It doesn't matter what your pace is. If you show up and you continue to show up to Good Vibes, you become the community and we invest a lot of time into you and your training plan. I think a lot of really like successful runners are part of clubs that are really fa- only fast runners. And that's not what our group is at all. And I really, really appreciate that, too, because, Bruna, you spoke to this earlier. It's like you're in pain no matter what. And so I admire my teammates so much who are out here breaking, you know, shooting to break 430 or 4. They're just They're in the same amount of pain as I am, but they're out there for longer. So I love having that inclusive atmosphere at my club as well. I see. So how
2: does it work exactly? So can anybody just show up for one of the Good Vibes uh, workouts and then you go from there? Like, is there a membership? And you're also now a captain, right? In the the track club itself. What does that mean? What does it mean for you to be a captain?
0: There's no membership fee. Our workouts can range from 60 people showing up to 100 people showing up. And out of that group, there are eight captains. Some of those people are founders as well, meaning they started Good Vibes, which really just started as a group of friends who were, they were part of um, a Nike program that met every Tuesday at a track to get faster for the marathon. And Nike cut some budgeting and that went away. And so they decided to just keep showing up together. And then it has snowballed into this three times a week training club. And um, over time, they've had captain. It's not like an election type thing or anything like that. It's just those founders became the captains because they became the leadership. And then they've added a few individuals throughout the years just to help with leadership. So we're a Nike club here in L.A. We deal with a lot of admin work just to talk about contracts with Nike or you know, getting kits from them. We put together the workouts themselves and lead every session. So it's really just the leadership side of the club is meaning the captains. And we have a lot of leaders who aren't captains too, who help pace and step up and call people OGs if they've been around for a long time and they just know how things shake out. And so we'll lean on those folks too. I always say our membership fee is showing up. And it's your time. People will come up to the captains and say, how can I give back? Can I donate money? Can I donate X, Y, Z? And we never ask for money. If you want to bring something for the fuel station, like snacks or gummies or something, that's great. But really, we just ask for your time. So it's time to show up and be routine with the workouts. But it's also when you're not training, like coming and being at the fuel station or we had 25 athletes go to Berlin last fall and we probably had another eight people just come to cheer, like travel to another country just to cheer. So that's the environment that's been fostered at Good Vibes, And I'm just so fortunate to have found them and to become a part of it.
1: Sounds like a little family almost. I'm curious, maybe going back a bit to the training and the workouts, because you said you don't have a coach. You have your basically your three trainings that you do with the club. And then how do you get to your mileage that you need to hit? Or how do you even build your season? Do you do that all yourself? Do, it, do you do it kind of chatting with, you know, teammates from the club? Or how do you do that?
0: I do those three workouts every week. That gets me a good chunk of mileage. At the beginning of the season, the workouts are lower mileage and the long runs. We start around like 12, 14 miles and then work up to 22. And the workouts work up to like a 10 to 12 mile workout all in with warm up and cool down. So at the beginning of the season, I'm usually just aiming for 40 ish miles a week. And then I end with like 50 or 60 miles as my peak. I peaked for the Cincinnati marathon at 70, which I had never hit before and felt fine, honestly. So it's, It was just me taking my known entities, which are those three workouts, and filling in the rest of the week. And I always try to take one day off, if not two. So filling in the rest of the week with really, really easy miles or maybe a trail run, because I'm lucky here in LA to have access to trails very easily. My friend and fellow captain at Good Vibes, Daniela Chong, she really gave me like the love for trail running. She's crazy, amazing athlete. She's nuts. We really became friends when we started running trail every Wednesday morning as recovery. And that's gave me a love for that kind of running too. So just fitting it into life where you can.
1: I think you made a cool point here because especially for people that are not experienced in endurance sport or running, people often ask me when I talk about recovery runs or re- recovery workouts, because people are like, oh, but you have to take off. You, What does recovery run mean? Maybe you can elaborate a bit on that. That's
0: a really good point. You're right. As a runner, when I'm just talking to other runners, that's such a common term and it might sound counterintuitive to folks who aren't in endurance sports, but a recovery run or time on feet is just time where you're spending in your endurance sport choice. So mine is running and it's meant to have a very low heart rate. And it is getting your body used to that mechanic movement is how I view it. It's also shaking things out, which I don't even know what that means like medically, but you're going out and you're moving your muscles and you're warming them back up and You're letting little aches and pains work themselves out so you're not just pushing your body every time you're in that mechanical movement. It's great for aerobic endurance as well because when you're doing a hard effort, you're pushing your body into an anaerobic state, but you also need aerobic exercise to really stay healthy in the sport. I find that my recovery runs, especially after really hard workouts, the first mile or two i'm just miserable i'm like this hurts i'm going you know 930 pace and it hurts like i can't go slower i don't want to go slower <laughs> i just want to get this over with and then once you get into it a little bit your body starts to feel better that helps me when i go into my next hard effort it's like you get all that out when you're able to just chill and listen to your body and run 10 miles if you start to feel good, or you run four miles just to get it done. So taking what you need in that recovery run, I think is an important part of the mental side of running too. I think we've
2: heard here on the podcast quite a few times. And I want to bring that up again, because I know from my athletes that I work with that they struggle to understand how important it is to run slow. So I'll make a point again about how This is really an easy run and it's not about pace and you should go slow and it's going to feel boring, but it's the point of the run. So I hope uh, my athletes out there remember this again. (laughs) Reta, I have a question for you related to the workouts themselves. Who decides what are going to be the exact workouts that are going to be done each week?
0: Marvin Garcia and a man named Knox Robinson. He's not a good vibes captain, but he's been involved in the leadership for a long time. They strategize and they are the birthplace of the workouts. Marvin shares them with the rest of the captains and we all discuss and make sure we're all comfortable and know the intention of the workout. Then we pass that along to the rest of the group. There is a long-term vision to it, but we announce our workouts week by week and really hone in on them week by week because we like to take in real time feedback and like try to understand how the athletes are feeling. If we have a really hard week and then the next week we have something on the schedule but we can tell people aren't feeling motivated, we might scale it back a little bit, give them, we don't really ever have cut cut back weeks but we'll give them like a little something to rejuvenate them and then move forward. But there's always the end goal there's routine things that we work up to like that three by five K I mentioned, that's an infamous good vibes workout that happens every season. The eight to 10 mile tempo is something that we always are working up to. And we're always doing a 20 to 22 mile week. And we do a decent amount of 20 and 18 mile runs throughout our training. So it's not like a beginner marathon training. I feel like that's like you run 12 miles and 13, then 14, then maybe 13 again. And you like just kind of add slowly and you Peak at 20 one time. A very infamous workout is a, a fast finish for the long run. So you go out and you do road, steady, and then you come back and you finish like a fast 5K to train your body that the marathon really starts at 20 miles. You know, you do 10 miles, 10 miles, and then you have that last 10K and that's where you really decide what the race looks like.
1: Well, Bruno and I were planning to come to LA in uh, August and I'm definitely intrigued to join Uh, the sessions.
0: (laughs) Perfect. That will be
2: perfect. And Rita, you mentioned that like your mantra in the club is to run by few. But do you ever look at heart rate? Or are you ever focused on pace or in power, for example?
0: When I'm running, I don't usually look at my heart rate, except on easy runs. On easy runs, I'll check it and I'll pull myself back if my heart is going a little bit faster I think that's more important on an easy run than pace more recently I've been focused on trying to do my easy runs with my mouth closed, which is so hard I've been thinking about buying mouth <laughs> tape but I think that would be like a little creepy
1: please please do it and send us a picture like, it looks like a hardcore uh, training session like this girl is <laughs> either gonna murder everybody
0: or
1: something <laughs> <laughs> oh my
2: god it's like guys today we have a very exciting workout it's called the uh, torture and uh, you're not allowed to breathe uh, this is, is going to improve <laughs> your times. by this one sounds fun
1: <laughs> i also have another interesting question on benefits i mean we all know the benefits from running clear your mind you're more energized what is your most maybe unexpected benefit that you got from running most unexpected,
0: it's probably the community. They've just become so important to me. That's not a, you know, a benefit of my body doing anything. It's just that social aspect. My own body-wise, when I'm training, I sleep so much better. I wake up more energized. I have a way better appetite as well. I just feel more confident, I think is a way to put it. More confident in so many different areas like I feel more accomplished during the day I feel more confident in my body image for sure it's given me like a very well-rounded I think confidence can relate to that now Rita, we know
2: you are a vegetarian have you always been a vegetarian is that something related to endurance in any ways do you think that impacts your performance in any manner
0: I have been vegetarian for 11 years now I was a freshman in college and I decided to do it for sustainability reasons, which is something that's important to me on a moral level. So I've just been vegetarian since and haven't really looked back. It's been great. It was an easy transition for my body and I don't feel like I'm lacking anything. I think that we're lucky in today's age that Anytime you go to the grocery store, you can get fruits and veggies and anything that you really want because we're a global economy. So I don't think it's held me back. I try to be intentional, especially in the peak of training of making sure I'm getting protein and good healthy fats and buying healthy snacks because I'm constantly hungry. (laughs) I don't know if it's made an impact on my endurance because I haven't done anything be- besides it while I've been training.
2: Yeah, we were just interesting to hear perspective. Disclaimer is that Fabi and I, well, we were vegan for quite some years and I was doing that running. I always felt great as well. But I think it's important to put out there that this is possible because I think a lot of people think that to achieve these really great performances, you must eat Everything. I mean, there's all kinds of opinions out there, and I think it's important to demystify and say that yes, you can get all of your protein and everything that you need to be able to recover being vegetarian doesn't really matter. For
1: me too Now I like I train around 15 hours per week, and I really, like you said, I'm constantly hungry, and I really need to think that I need to eat. Otherwise, I'm hungry and I'm, you know, I'm I can't focus. So. I think that's a big challenge. I don't know how it is for you, but really making sure you eat enough, enough calories in. Do you drink alcohol or do you cut it off completely? No,
0: I drink alcohol still. I used to not drink a month before a big race, but I do not even do that anymore. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> we also drink. I, I personally only stopped drinking
2: one week out from the race. I think that's good enough. And I think sometimes I've had a glass of wine the week of whatever.
1: I think it's also nice, you know, you have to be so structured in the training and when you train. If you're old also in a super structure in your food and your alcohol consumption, it's like, uh, it's hard.
0: <laughs> it is, yeah. It, it comes naturally. It's like listening to your body in training and also listening to your mind and like being balanced in life. Because I mean, this whole podcast is about people who, are just regular people, right? right? Like living, having normal jobs and pushing themselves in this space in life. It's unsustainable for me if I'm so regimented with myself that I'm not enjoying being social with my friends or being with my family. It's a give and take too. So when I'm really excited about a race and I really have a goal in mind, then I'll drink less and I go out less. And, you know, I'm more structured Friday nights before my big long runs, but it's not every single week because then it takes the fun out of it. Like you said, Poppy. Balance is everything. And and running is not all of
2: our lives. We're not professional, like you said. I think this is a good segue to talk about your work. Like, are there some strategies, some things that you're doing on your day to day that are allowing you to continue to train and, and balance that with your work?
0: Started a new job a little less than a year ago. And It was uh, definitely a step up in my career, a positive one. A new job you always work, I think, a little harder because you're inefficient. You're getting used to the new process and your new role and you're figuring out what levers to pull. That was a give and take moment, right? I gave a little less to running and a little more to my career in the past year. And I'm finding the balance again where I can really push myself in running again. So that was definitely a conscious decision of my own to make that a little more investment in my career side. It's being structured and having your own boundaries, too. That's work hours. You know, I might close my laptop at a certain time and go do my workout. And if I have to, I come back and instead of watching a show, I do a little bit more work or whatever it needs to be. So I feel like I'm being successful at both. So I think having those boundaries is so important and really hard to stick to. And I'm not perfect at it all the time. But that's how I try to make sure I'm giving what makes me feel happy to all the different areas of my life. Have you been like
2: upfront at your job, like talk to your manager and say that, hey, I have this really big thing in my life called running and, you know, I devote these hours. I have my workouts on Tuesday and Thursday that I have to be there and I can't overwork. Like, did you ever feel like you had to do that?
0: It's apparent in just anyone getting to know me. It- quickly becomes apparent that it's a big part and a, an important part of my life. And the man who hired me, we sat down for my first in-person interview and he goes, well, I stopped you on Instagram. And I was like, OK, I mean, I have a public Instagram. Like, sure. I can't like that's so expected and like why would I be upset to hear that? And he was like, I can tell you're a really big runner because that's most of the content that I show on my Instagram is my running. So it just was out the gate, like started from there. And as my interview process got more serious, it did come up and they were like, okay, like what, what kind of time do you put into this? How many weekends a year are you traveling for a race? And we talked through all those things and they were very understanding and supportive of me, like having that part of my life. They have a great culture John was like, I like the idea of someone who doesn't just have work, who's also passionate about something else. I've been lucky. My last job was like that, too. My coworkers celebrated me so much. I'd go run a race in PR and everyone would be talking about it on the, the next like work calls.
1: Yeah. And I mean, training helps a lot to bring to work, too, right? I think maybe they also see the advantage of having... An athlete in the team who brings this mentality to the workplace. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) They hired you, so. (laughs) Yeah. I have another question coming a bit back to nutrition. During your races, how do you fuel yourself? Do you have some specific strategies? Because often people have stomach issues.
0: Stomach issues have been a big issue for me in the past. It got so bad, like that first LA I ran out here. I I had gone to China for work and I was convinced that I had a parasite because it was like such an issue for me that training season. I think my big breakthrough with nutrition and like any stomach issues I had came when I ran one of those ultra relays I mentioned before where I was running for 35 hours, not continuously, right? I was on a team, but you had to eat. There was no ifs of having to eat because that's what I was doing. I was so nervous about my stomach that I would just not eat breakfast. I'd barely eat gels during the run. I just tried to keep my like stomach as empty as possible so I wouldn't have a reason for it to hurt. But I had to eat during that race. And it, I think it made me have this mental breakthrough where in that race, there was no option to have that mentality. And so that really helped In terms of races, I've been using Morton pretty religiously for the past few years. Morton gels. And I love the Morton drink mix. Part of the Good Vibes culture is we usually have on-course support. So we usually have two areas where people are to pass bottles with a gel tape to it and Morton mix inside. That makes me feel like I have wings when i'm racing i take a sip of that and 10 minutes later i'm
1: like yeah let's go the, yeah one thing i want to quickly ask before we end is that you mentioned that you get got into uh, those ultra relay races i have never really heard about them i mean i know what an ultra race is and a relay but the combination of both uh, so can you elaborate a bit on that
0: yes of course so Again, I think I made up that term. I don't know anyone else who calls them ultra relays, but it's like a relay style where you have a team and you have a set distance, maybe. You have essentially an endpoint and you're running on a team to complete and get to that destination. So the first time I did it, it was the Speed Project is a pretty popular, known unsanctioned race in Los Angeles. It starts at the Santa Monica Pier And it ends at the Welcome to Las Vegas sign. They give you a route that will work, that will get you there. It's about 340 miles, but there are no rules. So the only rule they have is don't run on the highway because of safety issues. So you can take any course you want to get there. So throughout the years, it's become competitive. People have found new shortcuts and things. And you can run it, I think, in 280 miles now. Um, But it's like more treacherous terrain to take that route and you need off-road vehicles. And so it's this really fun, scrappy race that I've done a few times. And I did a COVID version the first time. We just ran for, I think it was 29 hours or something. And the winning team just ran the furthest. So it was a really fun style, like different rules. It's not just run this course, run this, run this path, run this distance and you're done, run a four mile segment. And then a you know, whatever segment it's, every team can have their own strategy. I've run the actual speed project twice, the one from Santa Monica to Vegas. And the first year I ran with six women and we did mile repeats at the beginning and then broke it down, actually, to even shorter segments for 290 miles. And oh. we ended up breaking the women's course record. It has been broken since, but we <laughs> held it for that year. And it was so fun. It was just wild. We ran through Death Valley at, you know, in the middle of the night. And I remember looking up at the stars on one of my breaks. And I was like, how am I here? How is this? what I've like chosen to do with my free time.
1: How did I find
0: these women? Like it was just the coolest moment. And I was proud of myself. It's like, I was like, this is cool. This is a really cool thing to be doing right now. And people think I'm crazy, but I'm really happy. So I love relays in general. I've run a few in the Hood to Coast uh, race series as well. And I just find... I think I like realize more than marathoning because um, it just, yeah, I do. It's such a happy like push of endurance and camaraderie. It feels like the only thing that matters in that moment is like your team and you guys getting to the next checkpoint. And it's just so, it's so fun. I love them a lot.
1: I guess like kind of a team sport. You're like really in the group and strategize and planning
0: Retta, would you ever do
2: an ultra yourself? I remember trying to get you to do uh, one with me uh, many years ago. Is that something that crosses your mind?
0: Yeah, it does. It feels like inevitable that it will happen, but I don't have necessarily a goal or like a single race in mind. But I have a friend, my roommate from college, Kylie, and she is this crazy good hiker and she wants to do rim to rim to rims. And so I don't even know if that would count as an ultra, but I think I'll push my body to that distance at some point, whether or not it's like me signing up for an ultra or just doing it in some capacity.
1: If you do, I want, we want to talk to you again about that one. <laughs> Should we move to fire questions? Yeah, we have some um, fire rapid questions to get some short, quick answers from you. So you can't think for too long. Are you ready, Reda? I think
2: so. <laughs> They're not too scary. All right, let's go. What's your favorite post-run meal or snack? A breakfast burrito.
1: What's your favorite pre-run meal or snack? An
0: Eggo waffle, the like bad kind, not whole wheat, nothing with honey and a little bit of sunflower butter.
2: If you could run anywhere in the world, where would it be?
0: That's a great question. I don't have an answer for that. I where Wherever my team is.
1: Do you have any essential gear or equipment that you cannot run without? No, a sports bra. (laughs) Love it. Love it. (laughs) That's
0: the most honest answer I have. I love running without my phone. I love running without my watch. I hate carrying gels on me. The least I have on my body, the more I like running. So, yeah, just that sports bra. That's an important
1: (laughs) piece. Favorite race? Chicago. If you could run with anyone living or dead, who would it be and why? My mind immediately goes
0: to Kelvin Kipton just because I think of the recent events. I think it is still so heartbreaking to me. So I don't think that would have been my answer two weeks ago, but now it would be because I think we lost somebody who was redefining what a human could do. And he was clearly a really special athlete. So that would be so cool. What's your favorite running route
2: or location?
0: I can't do it every day. This is a running route that's like special to me, but it would be boring to do it every day. But I love running from wherever I am, my house or where my team meets up and running to the ocean in LA and running along the path because growing up in Ohio, it still hits me sometimes that like I live here and I live by the ocean and I can do that sometimes the the landscape opening up to the ocean and hearing the waves crash is just such a peaceful moment to me so that's one of my favorite places to go
1: running without or with music
0: without music definitely you can blame my cross-country coach for that he wouldn't let, let us listen to music and i've really never listened to music since favorite
2: training shoes
0: Recently, the Nike Invincibles, they're so cushy and nice. And I I really love them for like long, easy runs.
1: Favorite racing shoes? The Vaporfly, I think.
0: I've tried the Alpha Fly a few times and I'm still deciding my opinion of whether I like it better than the Vaporfly. But the Vaporfly has served me well.
2: Rita, thank you so much. It was so
0: fun to to
2: talk to you and... uh... Hear all the stories from all these years, very inspirational. And uh, it was just a really great time.
0: I'm so, again, so honored to be here that you think it's worth to hear my story. I just love running and am grateful to let it be a part of my life consistently. And, you know, it's led me to amazing people like you too. I think the running community is global. And that's a huge side benefit of it as well. Now I have friends all over the world. So
1: thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into Human Endurance. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and felt inspired by Reda's story. If you like the show, don't forget to rate it and hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to it. This helps us to reach a bigger audience and get other humans to hear the inspiring stories we have to share. In fact, if you know of someone who would also enjoy listening to a story, go ahead and share this episode with them. Thank you and see you next time.